0: Welcome to the Women in Leadership Podcast. My name is Marianne Metz, and I'll be your host. As a female navigating the challenges that rise with leadership, I wanted to start a conversation with you as a woman in the workforce myself and offer a resource for leadership excellence. This podcast series is sponsored by Ascension Transformation Solutions, your business transformation technology partner. As you tune in to listen, you will meet Debbie Collard and Susan Ireland, our leadership experts who will be answering questions to offer you exclusive insights to help you thrive in your career. Stick around. Hi, and thank you for joining us today on the Women in Leadership podcast series. I would like to welcome Debbie Collard, founder and principal of Debbie Collard Executive Coaching, and Susan Ireland, founder and principal of Susan Ireland Coaching and Consulting, who are partners and co-founders of Seasons Leadership Development Program. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Hi, Marianne. Now, Debbie and Susan, you each had long careers over 30 years in corporate America that resulted in executive leadership. That's pretty unusual for many people, especially women. Can you both tell our listeners a little bit more about you, your career story, and who influenced your journey?
1: Yeah, I'll dive in first with that one, Mary Ann. This is Debbie. Um, so what drove me on my career path, I think, is important to start with. And that was I grew up poor. And I enlisted in the U.S. Air Force at a pretty young age so that I could afford to go to college. Even though I only ended up spending five years enlisted, I was plucked out of a regular job and made a leader at a very young age. Um, I then went into um, aerospace in 1985. I got an opportunity to go into there, make a break in that uh, type of organization. And I said, this is awesome. I think I'll spend a couple of years here and then look for the next opportunity. Well, I had lots of opportunities just staying there in aerospace. I got to work in defense side, the commercial side, the corporate area, and in a multitude of different roles. So I was always getting opportunities. Um, For some period of time during that, I was also a single mother with twin daughters. So I would say it wasn't around being strategic or having vision or planning, although I learned about all those things along the way. It was really driven by a need to survive and make enough money to live and provide for my family. So I was open to grasping opportunities wherever they showed up. As far as who influenced my career, I would say the first one I need to talk about is my mother. My mother influenced my journey because she always told me to work hard, do my best and treat everybody with respect. Throughout my career though, I had many leaders who influenced my journey. I was very blessed um, to get to work for and with a number of really fantastic leaders. The ones that stand out most, though, are those who saw something in me that maybe I didn't even see myself, and they pushed me to my boundaries into more challenging positions and up the leadership chain. So, yes, I had a long career over 30 years in corporate America, but I would love to tell you that's because I planned it that way, but it wasn't. But I did take advantage of opportunities. Susan?
2: Well, it's funny, Debbie, even though we come from different backgrounds, some of that is a bit similar uh, to what I experienced. And I uh, grew up in Seattle and I I went to college after high school, but then um, got married before I was even graduated and had uh, two kids and then got divorced quickly. And so I was a single young parent. And I was also interested in surviving and providing for my my two girls and um so it was you know it wasn't strategic. I was looking for what opportunities were out there that uh, were stable could get me some um, medical coverage uh and have some flexibility uh around vacations a little bit you know i i was i didn't have really high high dreams I just wanted. What I felt like something to uh, sustain um, me and my children, and I also had have still have a very strong independent streak. Uh, maybe it's a value even, and um, working for a corporation that that was stable uh, gave me that feeling of independence. And even though I didn't have a, a big career goal or position that I was aspiring to at that point when I started, um, I knew that the opportunities were there. And there were lots of career paths that uh, I could choose to take at one point if I ever, ever was interested. Um, So it really was it was just fortuitous that that I actually uh, landed where I did, and I am was very grateful. Um, as far as who were key people in my life, I, like Debbie, they were my parents. Um, my parents were big supporters of me. Actually, they always uh, thought I could do whatever I wanted to do, no matter what. You know how big they did not squelch any dreams that that I could have for myself the funny thing is though that I didn't really believe that I had that potential um, I didn't see it um, but they were always there for me and I'm gonna uh, talk about my dad a little bit later but he was he was a big influence in my life um, my my mother passed away Uh, young. And so he was there with me, always, always encouraging me and supporting me and, and like opening the possibility that I could do more.
0: Wow. You know, and what an impactful story, Um, especially that you both um, were motivated, inspired by your parents. I think that speaks to a lot of, a lot of our listeners. Um, So throughout your journey that you just spoke about, Can you talk more in detail of a time when you successfully navigated a challenge in your career?
2: Okay, I think this is, I'm gonna um, talk about kind of my limited view. And I think that's the biggest challenge that I had. So it was internal, not anything external. Um, I had a limited view about what was possible for myself. Um, So I played smaller uh, and longer in that than I wish I would have. Um, I had things in my mind like I didn't have the right, quote-unquote, right college degree. Um, Or I was a woman in a primarily male-dominated field. I was a single mom, and I had other responsibilities, and nobody at home taking care of the kids for me. They were in daycare, so I had to to manage all that timing. So what I did was I worked hard, and I made it uh, a priority to do the job, whatever job I had, better than anybody else, and and that uh, work ethic and And uh, attitude, I think, got me recognized and I got opportunities because people wanted me to work on their team because they knew they could count on me.
1: Wow, Susan, that's an awesome story. And I was thinking as you were talking through it about whether that was true for me as well. And I think I had the opposite challenge is that I never met any role or job that I didn't think I could do or should be doing. And that sometimes got me into trouble. So the biggest issue might, for me, be choosing a challenge to talk about because (laughs) there are no shortage of challenges of various shapes and sizes in probably anyone's career. But one that comes to mind is about mid-career of the time that I was in my 30 years of aerospace, I was put in charge of this newly formed organization And it was created by pulling several different activities together and put under one umbrella. And I was told by the uh, vice president general manager who ran the organization, the higher level organization, "This, this group is underperforming in every way possible. And it's your job, Debbie, to take it over, evaluate what needs to be done and execute a plan and turn the performance around. And I said, okay, when is this going to be announced and when are we starting? And he said, you have about eight hours. Oh, wow.
2: (laughs) No problem. (laughs) Yeah, no problem.
1: So uh, that one did give me a pause and I'm like, oof. So I pulled the leaders of the various groups together spent time asking them questions and listening to their answers. I reviewed the performance of those groups and asked those leaders what they would change if they were in my shoes. And then working together as a team, although we did unfortunately have to let one of the leaders go because of a repeated bad behavior over many years, um, we were able to implement the changes that turned the performance positive for the overall group. Within eight months, we were the best performing organization in that part of the business. So there were many challenges, but that one stands out for me because the leader that I worked for believed in me enough. To take that big chance on me and give me eight hours to prepare for leading a new team. I didn't want to let him down for anything. So there was no way I was going to let that challenge get the best of me. And we ultimately succeeded. So it's a good news story. Happy ending. (laughs) Great, Debbie.
0: That's fantastic. Wow. Now let's take a few minutes to talk about culture in the workplace. I'm sure you have both experienced many challenges as you just spoke about, but focused on. Um, as being a woman in the workforce, can you give us an example of a challenge you faced being a female and any tips you have to share to our listeners about how to successfully navigate a similar situation they might be in?
1: Culture. I love talking about culture. Um, I will say, unlike the previous question, I don't feel like I had too many challenges, particularly by being a woman in the workplace. Even though looking back, I worked in mostly male jobs or areas, there were very few times I was challenged because I was a female. And maybe that has something to do with my outlook in that I can do this job, I can do any job. It's not a problem. Um, Thinking about it, though, one instance does uh, stand out. Okay, so I'll set the stage. We were in the early 90s, and I was a manager for a proposal to the government, that if we won, would mean we were awarded a humongous government contract. That's very technical terminology, humongous government contract. And it would mean new jobs for hundreds of people. I was working with the vice president program manager, or he would be in that role when we won the contract, and several other senior people who were in charge of various parts of the proposal. So the engineering leader, the finance leader, et cetera. I didn't start out as the proposal manager on this proposal and I only had a bit of proposal management experience under my belt at the time, but I was put in the position when the very experienced proposal manager who had originally been assigned suffered a serious heart attack. So he was out of commission and they said, well, you're the deputy, we're going to put you in charge of this proposal. So the challenge occurred in that scenario like this. So we're in a meeting of the proposal leadership team. By the way, I was the only woman on that team or in the room. At one point in the meeting, the vice president program manager said, Debbie, go make some copies of this document for everyone. And I said, okay, I'll make sure they get it. And I'll do it after the meeting. And he looked at me and said, do it now and stared at me without continuing the meeting. Of course, I was embarrassed. I was angry and probably several other emotions, but I calmly left the room, made the copies, left them with his office administrator, and then went back to my normal office, not back to the meeting room. I told my manager what had happened, and he was very supportive of me not returning to that proposal effort. He said, hey, it's your decision, and I will support you either way. That shouldn't happen to anybody. After a couple of days, the vice president program manager um, had his administrator call me and say, will you please come meet with him? I did so. And after a few minutes of silence uh, at the beginning of the meeting, he apologized for his behavior and asked me to agree to continue as the proposal manager. The outcome of this story, we went on to win the contract for the company, got hundreds of jobs for people. And... I later learned through the grapevine that that VPPM stood up for me in a couple of situations that I wasn't even aware of were occurring in performance reviews and ratings uh, saying that I should be ranked higher than um, maybe some other people. And I really believe that our great relationship and him sticking up for me came down to that moment when I earned his respect because I wasn't a pushover, even though I was relatively inexperienced and the only female proposal manager at that time. So it, it did have a good, a good ending. Susan, what about your challenges with being a female?
2: I love that story, Debbie. Uh, we came up in a time in the, in the, in the business world where being in an aerospace industry we really were just a few females in a very male dominated um, uh, culture. And it was more often than not that I was the only female in the room as well. Um, And like you, I really didn't experience um, overt uh, uh, challenges, Um, but you know they're there even if it's unconscious. but I, I really was supported, uh, and promoted by a lot of great men. So I just want to say that because uh, it's, it's I want to recognize that is, is, my success really is built upon men and women in the past. But I do have one story, and it's kind of funny, although, and it's also kind of cringeworthy as well. And it's when I first it was for my first few years uh, working and. I got an award and it was an employee of the month award. And I was like, so surprised and, and honored to have this, that my work was recognized. And there was about 12 people that were honored each month. And we got to go out to big fancy dinner and invite a guest. And I was the only woman that was being honored. There was 11 other men and Uh, your manager came and then your guests came. It was really fancy thing. And I invited my father. And so part of the dinner was, you know, mingling and talking to everybody. And then, and then they gave you a little plaque at the end. And so the vice president um, at the point at that time of my division uh, would give the plaques. And so he went around and had the person being honored stand up. and said a little bit about what they did and saying, thank you for your contribution. And that was it. And so I was last when we got up there. So I stood up and I was so proud of myself. I was so happy and um, to be honored because I, you know, I thought I've really done a great job and I'm being recognized. And um, what the vice president said to me was, it's so nice having such a lovely young lady working for us and that was it (laughs) and i was like oh oh i didn't even know what to say and i sat down and my dad leaned over to me and said you might want to look for a new job So, so I, I, I was happy that my dad recognized, you know, this, and my manager later said something to me as well. Um, And I think it's just a reflection of the time, maybe. Um, I don't think it had any impact on my, my position. I kept getting good jobs and good assignments, but it really was a kind of a sock to the stomach, you know, like, wait a minute, he's not even recognizing my contribution. Um, so that was, you know, it was just something to be aware of, I guess, at that point. Um, I, I wanted to throw another thing into because it might help other people, is uh, because I, I think because of the environment that I was in and the time, the, this was, you know, back in the late 1980s, 1990s, um, women were new in the workforce or they weren't new, but they weren't very many of us. And um, I had, I struggled with niceness. So I, if you know me and meet me, I think that you would say, Susan is very nice. It's kind of who I am. Um, But I would get feedback in my performance reviews, like you're too nice, be more aggressive. Or then I would get, get feedback. Don't be so aggressive, be nicer. You know, it was inconsistent all over the map depending who my boss was at the time or what project I was working on. And I don't think anybody was trying to be difficult about it or trying to give me a bad time. They were really trying to help me. But the problem was because I wasn't solid in my own self, I felt like I was performing. So don't be nice, be nicer, be more professional, be this, be that. Um, It wasn't until later in my career, um, after I got a coach, (laughs) that I started settling into being comfortable with my authentic self. So I wasn't performing anymore, I was just being myself. And then um, actually when I got to that point, my career took off.
0: It, it sounds like um, having support from others is really key to overcoming gender specific challenges. And um, I think we, we'd all agree when I encourage our listeners to just surround yourself around people who will support you and encourage you, encourage you throughout um, any situations that arise in corporate, corporate situations.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And it's, it's more than corporate situations, it's any situation, having people support you um, in your career and life and having people to talk to is, is paramount.
0: Yes. Absolutely, so moving on a little bit um, I'm curious to learn as I'm sure our listeners are as well at what point did you see yourself as a true leader
2: all right i right. I've got a, a story about this, and it's it's a little bit tangential to um, work, but it really changed my mindset. Um, it was at the beginning of my career um, I was in the middle of a divorce, and it was an, a messy divorce and and I had the two kids like I had said before, and I was working and and so I was juggling a lot of balls and um I wasn't feeling like I had it all together um it was I was grateful that I had my job, but it still was it was stressful and emotional and um as anyone who's been through a divorce might might agree but um, but I was just doing the best I can, and I was um, picking up my kids. They were um, with my father for like over the weekend, and I was picking them up, and um, a woman, a neighbor came out to talk to me, and I had known her, but not very well. And um, she has four kids with her husband, and she came out to say hi, and and she let me know that um, she said I wanted to let you know I'm getting a divorce. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And um, she told me a little bit about it, but she said, I know that if you can do it and be okay, I can do it. And I was just floored because I had no idea that anybody else was paying attention to me. (laughs) And I didn't feel like I was doing okay. And what though it came to me that, oh, wait a second, a leader, I'm a leader just by being myself and a leader doesn't necessarily have it all together all the time, nor do they know all the answers. But they just do the best they can and pull on the resources that that are needed. And it was like an aha to me because up until that time, I had this idea that the people above me positionally at work kind of had it all together and knew all the answers. And this insight gave me like, oh, they're just people too, <laughs> and, they, and, and they're just maybe thinking more strategically, have different tools, have greater networks, and it actually that comment that that woman gave changed my view about myself that was bigger than just my personal, but my career and everything, and it really changed my view on my, my position as a leader.
1: Wow, that's a, such a fantastic story, Susan. Um, I, I, first of all, Marian, this is a great question. At what point we started to see ourselves as leaders um, and took a lot of thought because I would say about 11 years into the two years I planned to spend in aerospace, I was asked to take over running a special assignment team. And I was surprised and shocked to be asked. Because even though I'd had several assignments or jobs, including in the Air Force, that probably anyone watching would have said were leadership roles, I didn't feel that way. I felt like an individual contributor, that everything was riding on my shoulders and I had to get out there and perform. I didn't feel like a leader. Um, So here I was sitting in front of that special assignment team, many of whom were higher level than I was. That's another key theme in my career. And they were all looking to me for the direction and the answers. And, like Susan says, I didn't have all the answers. And I was very nervous about that. But, you know, it turns out that I was about a third of the way through my career in aerospace that I first felt this weight and responsibility of setting a course and inspiring others to follow me on that course. So, it was the first time I really felt like a leader. Although I would say, that like Susan's story, there were probably others out there who already saw me as a leader. But I didn't start feeling it myself until that point.
0: And that's so true because um, everybody has a story to tell. And Debbie and Susan, um, your stories hold value. And somebody can always use your story and, you, and your unique situations um, as guidance and as hope to know that the situation they're in is going to be okay because they have somebody who they can look up to um, as an example of a leader.
2: Right, well, and the other thing I wanna add is that being a leader is not a position. Everybody is a leader at at different points in their lives, with their family or their friends and their community. Um, being a leader is more of a state of mind than a position. What do you think, Debbie?
1: I agree with you one hundred percent, Susan, and I think um, a key learning for me throughout that career was about being a leader. And they come in all shapes and sizes and re- areas of responsibility. and um, you you can be a leader in kindergarten. You can be a leader. Um, when you are a vice president, it doesn't matter. It's, it's everything that you show up in. You've got the capability to be a leader and to step up into that role, but it is internal. It is a state of mind, as you said.
0: Yes, absolutely. And staying on a similar topic, if you had to choose one thing that was absolutely pivotal to your career success that placed you where you are today, what would it be?
1: This one's easy for me, Marianne. I didn't even have to think about it. This one was, it was pivotal to my career success of being willing to take on the job that nobody else wanted to do and being willing to work for and with anyone for some period of time. So, and what I mean by that is I didn't presuppose, ooh, I don't want that job because nobody else wanted to do it. So what's wrong with it? I don't want it either and i didn't presuppose that if i'd heard things certain things about someone i had to work for or with that that was going to be true i just went into it and did it now that doesn't mean that sometimes it didn't work because <laughs> it didn't sometimes and i ended up <laughs> to leave the role because i wasn't really happy there but or it wasn't my cup of tea right it wasn't the thing i liked doing but Pivotal to success was that I was the person they knew that they could give it to and that I would do it to the best of my ability and that I would, just like my mother told me early on and often, treat everybody with respect so I could work with or for anybody.
2: I think we have that in common where um, I agree, you know, just take those jobs and the, the uglier the job, actually, the better because the only place to go is up right you can make it a, you can make an immediate impact um, and working hard so that resonates with me the the other thing in addition to that is networking and I think early in my career that kind of had a, a bad taste in my mouth because I felt like that was kind of manipulative or something but but actually networking to me is, I, I, I got to learn. It was more natural for me because I make friends and I make connections and I'm curious about people and wherever you are in a corporation or uh, being an entrepreneur or in the community, um, the more connections you have real, honest, authentic connections, the more, um, the more you can, uh, help each other and let each other know when there's a job opening or an opportunity for a project or a, hey I've got this great product. And um over time it's so amazing how I learned about new opportunities or or I could help somebody else. Um, it was just I, I think it's like the, the magic thing because we live with other people. And so why not, you know, enjoy them, have fun with them, help them out. It's uh, it's rewarding as well as it opened up new doors for me.
0: Yeah, and I think a lesson here seems to be for our listeners to not be afraid to take on new challenges or talk to somebody they don't know so that they're able to learn how to remain bold in the face of a new environment or a new challenge.
2: Yes. You know, I have a, I have a suggestion that I, I give many of the people that I coach because most people will have somebody that they admire in their organization or their company or in their community, but they don't know them. And there's usually like lots of good reasons why they 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 admire them. It could be what they've done, their attitude, you know, um, whatever it is. And so they tell me they kind of gush. I like this person because of all these things. And I say, well, why don't you call them up and ask them out to lunch? And you know, it's easier when it was no COVID, but. It was the first reaction to people is, no, I could never do that. Right. You know, they don't know me. And I encourage them to try. And I would say it's a hundred percent successful because most people are very flattered that somebody actually has noticed, you know, what they've done. And most people really enjoy helping people or giving them advice or taking, you know, an hour out of their day. You know, you might, you might have to wait six months to get on their calendar, but you know, it's better than nothing.
1: That just sparked a thought for me that of an example that just plays right into this thing we're talking about. So um, I got the opportunity to go to someone's retirement event and this, this was a big deal. It was at the top of this beautiful tower in Seattle. and um, But there were assigned seats for the um, speaking parts of the evening. So I went out and sought out my assigned seat. And I got seated next to a gentleman that I had not met to that point in my career at the company and but everyone kind of knew who he was even though he didn't know who everybody was (laughs) and um he had kind of a pretty stern reputation as not a very nice person or easy to get to know and um I said well this is going to be an interesting dinner if I'm seated next to him thank goodness we have speakers so I don't have to engage (laughs) he came up and sat down and I introduced myself to him and I said, we have a friend in common. And He goes, yeah, who? And so I told him who. And then as we started talking, I kept drawing him out throughout the the evening. And it ended up being a very pleasant evening. And he wasn't so hard to talk to um, after you got past the first, you know, a couple of sentences. But fast forward a year later they were, they had a job opening and I was an executive by this point. And the way executives get placed is you're either requested or management gets together, upper management and decides this the next opportunity they need to give you. And so he needed someone who had my skills and they had brought him a list of people to consider. And he says, no, I want Debbie Collard for that job. And they go, they were scrambling going, wait, what, Debbie Collard, how did this come out of the thin blue? He goes, I spoke with her one evening and I re- am really impressed. And so I want to hire her for the job. And I got the job. So what Susan says about networking combined with the being willing to uh, put yourself out there, it, it really does work. Yeah.
2: Wow. And you never know how. That's right.
0: You never know who no. you know until you know them.
1: That's right.
2: <laughs>
0: now let's switch gears a little bit i'm curious to learn as i'm sure our listeners are as well what motivated you to become executive coaches
2: well um i kind of alluded to it a little bit along the way but um when i was i got my master's degree in management um while i was uh working And so I did it, you know, nights and weekends kind of a thing. But there was a class that was coaching and I had never even heard about it before. And this was, oh, this was maybe about 20 years ago now. And um, so I took the class and I loved it. And I just couldn't believe that there was something like this. And so I got a coach at that time and which helped me think through some of these things that we've talked about today, and it just crystallized for me. And it helped me on my trajectory at, in my career. I got more focused. I knew more the direction I was looking for. And um, I started realizing that, wow, not only can I do more now with my own career and my what I want for my life, but this is a way I can support others so they can accelerate their growth to what they want. Um, and so I started that my coaching journey after that um, when I went to get my certification and I worked slowly on that and then after um, I retired, I went into it full full bore. Um, but really, it is. I, I really get excited to support others in discovering and moving quickly on what they want. Um, there's there's so much to do in this world and there's so much good to do uh, that I like to be a part of that.
1: You know, it's interesting because we have very similar stories in this regard, although I didn't. Um, pursued becoming a coach until after I had retired from my aerospace job. But during that job, I got the opportunity to work with an executive coach. And through that work, I discovered that I was always happiest when helping other people achieve their goals. So, similar to what Susan said about helping people accelerate their growth. And I'd also coached, and I'm putting that in air quotes, even though you can't see me, many leaders including senior executives throughout my career, although I wouldn't have known to call it that at the time, and I had never been formally trained as a coach. I was mostly following my intuition and my desire to help them succeed. Um, Then working with a professional coach, executive coach, I defined my purpose as making a positive difference in the world. And I think we would all agree that the world can always use better leaders leaders who continue to grow and learn throughout their lifetimes. And I said, you know, that's something I think I'd really like to do and focus on. So after I had retired um, from corporate life, I went and got my training um, at the uh, Institute for Professional Excellence and Coaching, and I got my ICF certification and set up a business as an executive and leadership coach, I thought, why not use all this experience that I have and my desire and purpose of making a positive difference to help other people succeed? And so that's how it happened.
0: Wow. And you know, in the short time I've known you both, I, I kind of consider you my own personal executive coaches and <laughs> I get excited every, every chance we get to chat because I know I'm going to gain a golden nugget of value that will push me to be a better leader in my own life. So thank you for your friendship.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, great. Thank you, Marianne. <laughs> it's good to hear that because that is our intent, of course, to make a difference for everybody that we interact with. So it's good to know it's working.
0: So on the topic of executive coaching, can you tell us about the season's leadership development program you both founded in 2019 and how it was started?
1: Yes, absolutely. We're both very excited to talk about this at any point in time. (laughs) So um, I'll I'll start us off then ask Susan to, to jump in. But after I became a certified professional coach, And I posted that status on social media. Out of the blue, one day I got contacted by Susan. And she said, Hey, it's great to to hear from you. I didn't realize you were a coach. I'm a coach too. And we had previously worked together uh, at Boeing towards the end of our respective careers there. And we really enjoyed working with each other. So when we connected, she said, You know, we should find a way to work together again. So we started a conversation about that. What would that look like? How might we accomplish it? And we found through that exploratory conversation that we were pretty darn aligned on what we wanted to do. And the ideas just sort of flowed organically from that point. Um, Speaking of organically, we got into a discussion about, wouldn't it be cool if we could create this around the different seasons of nature and align the seasons of leadership somehow? And we kept building and building on that and coming back to it. But our conversation went so darn well that we developed the idea, worked out the details and successfully launched in less than six months. And I'm going to let Susan jump in here with her version of the story uh, and a little bit more about it.
2: Yeah, that is, well, it's so fun hearing you talk about that again, Debbie, because uh, that was, it, it was exciting and fun and kind of unexpected. You know, when I saw Debbie's post um, that she was a coach, I thought, oh, isn't that perfect for her? And uh, so I wanted to, you know, congratulate her, and and then as we started talking, you know, we we have such similar um, business backgrounds, so we already kind of think the same way. We have we're process focused, and and we really. Um, we really think having a mission, vision, and values-based business is important, and and not only important but like fundamental starting place. And so, as we started talking about this, it started to snowball, and it was fun and challenging, and and uh, uh, it was just it, it was exciting to do. And I think it was also there's also a little bit about both Debbie and I. There, it's like if somebody says we can't do something we kind of are challenged and want to make it happen <laughs> so <laughs> so we thought let's just do it we're going to give this a try and um it's the other thing is that we both were it, it's like uncomfortable but also not so uncomfortable we weren't going to give it a try we didn't have all the answers we didn't know how it was going to work exactly and we hadn't you know, we but we thought we're just gonna we're just gonna jump and try it and and kind of meet the um, meet the challenges as they come up. And she's such a good partner because I can really count on her to, you know, she's do she's she's carrying water and and I'm carrying wood and we are like putting this thing together. And um, it's been an adventure and it's been successful and we're getting really great feedback and which is kind of keeps us going what did I forget Debbie
1: I don't think you forgot anything about how we got started at all Um, it's you know like you said we're very aligned and um, thank you for the kind words about being a great partner because I feel exactly the same way about you and we just we came together in a way that I don't I think was meant to happen when it happened, because I don't think it would have happened sooner when we were both in uh, corporate America. So it's an awesome thing.
2: It's that networking thing though, too, because I would say Debbie and I worked together. Well, we, we were friends, but we, we didn't talk to each other every day. Like we do now (laughs) Who, who would have known, you know, Five years ago that this is what we would be doing.
1: <laughs> Who'd have known you'd be on my favorites list on my phone. <laughs> Yay.
0: <laughs> um, so for our listeners who may be new and have never heard of the Seasons Leadership Development Program, can you share a little bit of background of Seasons and what makes it different from other leadership programs?
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, so Seasons Leadership Program is uh, a year-long program um, based around the seasonal themes. And so we have started in the uh, winter, spring, summer, fall. And we chose that because there's a there's a natural arc. You know, we we are so as tied to the seasons as human beings and in the environment that there's a there's a a growth of like when, when an idea or concept is, you know, germinating in the ground during winter, and then you've got, oh, you've got, starts to bloom, and you've got some ideas coming, and there's, you know, lots of opportunities, and, you know, it's just flourishing, and then in the summer, you, you start harvesting those things, and, or weeding out things that don't work, so, um, uh, and then in the, in, in and then fall. Oh, excuse me, I said that wrong. Then, then in the fall, you start harvesting. Um, so it's that same idea with leadership concepts. You know, we want to we want to bring our participants through the season so they can really um, integrate and um, bring into their being and their thoughts and their behaviors new ways of being a leader, and being more effective. Um, so we we focus on our mission, vision, and values. We're very values-based. Um, we're holistic. We want to uh, cover things about yourself, your business, and your community. We focus on business acumen. So we, we just also, it's almost training like where we can tell you how to use some business processes that we found work. Do you, what else do we do, Debbie?
1: Um, yeah, I would add just a few things to what you said. And going back to that theme that's seasonal about the four seasons of nature. So we gave a theme to each of those um, to make the leadership training fit in with a uh, season of nature. So for example, Spring is about awakening. So awaken is the theme. Summer is cultivate, where you're cultivating all that knowledge you have. Fall is integrate. So how do you take those things you've learned and integrate them together to better serve you? And then uh, winter is transformation. You know, when the world's under a blanket of snow in the winter, you're transforming and then you'll reawaken in the spring as your new self. And it's a continuous cycle. So while each season of learning is designed to stand alone, it's even more powerful when you put them to, all together and have all the seasons one leading into the other so that they build on each other. Um, Susan, you brought up about uh, that it's focused on in four aspects of self, others, business, and community. And, but the, another thing that makes us different is that we have a very flexible and responsive framework. So while we have this framework that we've described for how the learning is done, we are able, because we incorporated our learnings over decades of corporate life and training that we went through, we've got a ready list of things that we can pull out of the hat as needed. So for example, we had just had our spring session Um, this year when the lockdown happened with COVID and a number of the people in our program in this year are business owners. And they were asking us, can you please help us with what to do? We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how to deal with this, with our businesses. And what was so amazing to me was how the community of our current cohort of participants came together to help each other. So you had some of the um, younger generation in there giving out-of-the-box ideas to people who had been in business for decades. And you had the people who had been in business for decades Um, bolstering up the people, you know, this is going to pass, we're going to get through this. They really just jumped in and supported each other. And we had the flexibility, Susan and I, to adjust the program to those needs. So when they were saying, We don't really know what to do about what's going on, we don't have all the facts, we were able to get a physician in to talk to us about what they were hearing and what the current details were. When they said, You know, we don't know what to do about planning for the business in this regard. So we went into a whole discussion and were able to give them tools to help them with um, contingency planning. You know, what do you do when things don't go the way they're expected to go? And then how do you uh, deal with that for your business? So very flexible and responsive framework, even though it's got this solid base of the seasons, Um, Going on and a a year-long program so people can really Help each other grow and develop community that will hopefully last for a very long time
2: Yes, we keep it at a very small cohort So uh, we find that that is better, especially when we're online to create that community
1: yeah, definitely. That's a good point, Susan. A small group setting so people feel safe right from the start, um, being their authentic selves and bringing them whole, their whole selves to the training, so it can be a great learning experience for them.
0: Susan's leadership program sounds like an amazing opportunity. So, if you're listening and a female. You should go sign up to participate to learn more and gain wisdom on how to shape your future to be more successful. Thank you both so much for sharing your stories today. And as we come to the close of our first episode, what would you say was a defining moment in your career as our last nugget of inspiration?
1: Okay. No pressure though, right, Marianne, about nugget of inspiration. No pressure. Uh, (laughs) So mine was this defining moment. I was just back from maternity leave. I had twin daughters. Um, The company was required to give me an equivalent role to what I had had when I went on leave when I returned. Well, they didn't have anything available because of the way the timing worked out. But what they did have was a responsibility to name and send a representative from the group to this corporate mandated training on the Malcolm Baldrige National Quality Award criteria. And that was going to be the company's assessment and continuous improvement approach across the whole organization. And this was the McDonald Douglas Corporation at that time. So I found myself in an orientation and training class, and I was the lowest ranking person in the room. I was a non-manager. Everybody else in there was at least a manager level, if not a director or a VP. And I was thinking, what the heck am I doing in this room? I even went up to the person leading the training and said are you sure I'm supposed to be here? Cause I think I'm in the wrong room. And he chuckled and said, Nope, your name's on the list. Sit down. So I, you know, I went to the training and I learned about the Baldridge criteria. I'm not exaggerating when I say it was life changing for me. And it was a definite defining moment in my career. It opened so many doors. I met many wonderful people. I became a state and then national examiner for Baldridge, assessing other organizations who were using that criteria. And I um, authored a book, co-authored a book, and I even became the first female chair of the Baldridge National Quality Foundation in its 30-plus years of existence. So once again, what served me well was being able to and willing to take the jobs nobody else wanted and so when they sent me to that training they didn't know what they were doing for me they were giving me this amazing gift that has kept on giving to this day for me so coming back from attorney leave and going to that training was the defining moment in my career
2: wow Um, well mine was a little bit different and it and it was um in 2007 uh, the company uh, sent me to an inter- international executive program in France at INSEAD University, which was a, an amazing opportunity. And um, it was kind of like a little in- MBA in a six-week timeframe. And it was the, the reason why it was a defining moment for me is because I went over there, and I was there was two Americans in the class, and the rest were from all over the world. And I just thought, I love this. I love the, the global discussion and all the different viewpoints. And I thought, I, want, I need to work globally. And that, so I was in a corporation that already worked globally. So I, I uh, started focusing you know, more on that. Even though I was already there, I, just, I really embraced it. And then afterwards, so after I retired and, and went into coaching, this is my goal is to like, keep moving and working globally. Um, And uh, I have that opportunity. And it was that experience that like opened the window for me that, that this is really what ignited my passion.
1: And just a footnote on that. We, are, we got the opportunity because of COVID, so something positive did come out of it, that uh, we went all online with Seasons Leadership Program, and we already have a commitment for next year internationally. So we're we are an international awesome. program now. Woo-hoo. There we go. Yeah.
0: This has been so great. Thank you both again for taking the time to share your stories and inspirational values with us today. Please tune in next time for our second episode where we will talk about um, Debbie and Susan's opinions about personal branding and self-reflection. Thank you so much, ladies.
2: Thank you, Marianne. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining me today on the Women in Leadership podcast series. If you loved our podcast, we encourage you to sign up for the Seasons Leadership Coaching Program, a year-long leadership program for women designed to support your growth and success as a professional. The program was created to help motivate female leaders and further their self-awareness to live into their potential while making a difference. For more information or to register yourself for Seasons Leadership, visit their website at seasonsleadership.com and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn to stay connected. See you next time!